0: Hello and welcome back to Analyze Asia, a podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I am your host, Carol, and you're listening to part two of our program on the topic of COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. Now, for part one, my guest host, Yu Ying, and I talked about my personal experiences living in China amidst the outbreak of the novel coronavirus. And this week, we are going to talk about the business implications of the epidemic. Specifically on how it has impacted SMEs in China and how it has impacted the different industries like tourism, supply chain around Asia and around the world. So, I have Yu Ying Deng back again to be our guest host, and she is the CEO of Altizen from Singapore. So, Yu Ying, welcome back. And I know you've prepared a lot of questions for me this time. So, ask away. Hi, Carol. It's good to be back here with you again. Well,
1: since our last conversation, what has been the recent updates within China itself with
0: respect to the COVID-19 virus? Since our last conversation in February, there has been a lot of improvement actually in the situation here in China. I personally went out for food for the first time in over a month today. And I, you know, went out for to run personal errands for the first time in over a month as well recently and still feeling pretty safe. And then, if we were to look at you know the numbers right now in China, it is reported that there still exists around twenty nine thousand nine hundred and thirty cases. So it's almost thirty thousand cases. And by today, I mean we're recording on March third. However, there has actually been a decrease of thousands of remaining cases uh, on a daily basis. So there are still new cases being added. For example, today there were 129 cases, new cases. However, as compared with yesterday, the number of remaining cases decreased by 2,800 because a lot of people have been cured and discharged. So unfortunately, out of the 30,000 cases remaining in China, around 28,000 are in Hubei province, where Wuhan is the capital. So that is still the epicentre of the virus outbreak in China.
1: I mean, that's certainly great news within China itself. But I don't know whether the picture has been looking that bright outside of China. There has been a lot of reports on COVID-19 spreading globally. I saw that it started with uh, Korea and Japan, then Italy and Iran, and now it seems even the USA is affected. Can you tell us
0: what you know about the global spread? That's right. When we spoke last time, it was still more of a domestic threat to China and parts of Asia, but now it has really spread globally. And while the situation has de-escalated in China, other countries such as South Korea, Italy, Iran, Japan are facing very dire situations. You know, for example, in South Korea, there are over 5,000 cases now, but around two weeks ago, they had 50. There has been a huge increase. And then Iran as well. It, officially in Iran, there are about 1,800 cases, but many suspect that the actual number of people infected is much larger than
1: that. Which countries do you know have now closed their borders to China?
0: Right. So we know that a lot of countries have done this. And countries like you know North Korea, the US, Australia, and of course, Singapore. But most countries that did impose these policies did it back in late January or early February. And the situation really hasn't changed much since then. Notably, we note that you know all three major U.S. airlines have stopped operating flights to China and the U.S. have stopped allowing anyone with China travel history to enter the country unless they're a U.S. citizen, of course. Same thing goes for Australia, but there were a lot of Chinese students that went back to China for their summer holiday because it's summer in Australia. And uh, they had to actually go to, for example, Thailand or Korea, do a self-quarantine for 14 days before they can go back to Australia for school. In Asia, also other countries like the Philippines have closed their border. Uh, Malaysia, but only for certain Chinese provinces. But the measures taken by a lot of the other countries around the world are much less strict. And I did read from China's National Immigration Administration update that was published in early February that at least 54 countries have created stricter travel rules from closing off the border to Chinese travelers to quarantine Wuhan or Hubei travelers. But most of the measures are just checking temperatures at airports and then also asking travelers to fill out healthcare forms. Um, how about the
1: foreign multinationals such as Apple, which I understand are highly dependent on the Chinese
0: supply chain? Courts actually published an article last month titled How Coronavirus is Upending Big Tech that I think answers this question fairly well. To summarize, there will be a significant impact that could possibly lead to you know, product delays for a lot of companies given that China is still the world's largest manufacturer of a lot of things such as mobile phones, computers, TVs, etc. cetera. But seeing how China has been, I would say, quite successful in containing the virus outside of Hubei province and that most factories actually have opened their doors and have started operations by the end of February. So I think that the worst is over and things are are finally slowly getting back to normal. So you mentioned Apple, so we can take Apple for example, there are Foxconn plants in both the city of Zhengzhou and the city of Shenzhen, and they make up a large part of the global iPhone assembly line actually. And there were a lot of reports that came out last month saying that you know, significant delays could impact the worldwide shipments for iPhones. But Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, was also recently reported saying in an interview that you know China is getting the disease under control and that he is optimistic that the factories have reopened. They're on ramp and they're actually in phase three of the ramp mode, meaning that, you know, they're ramping uh, productions back up. But I also did read that the revenue is set to decline for Foxconn, potentially 15 percent or up year on year for the first quarter which is likely to be the biggest decline since the 2008 financial crisis, actually, according to tech columnist Tim Culpen. So I think the same could be said about a lot of these manufacturing type of companies. They're back on running. They've ramped things up, but they have all taken a hit due to the virus outbreak.
1: Well, actually, I mean, just between us, 15% is already not bad. I've seen some surveys from companies, from entrepreneurs in China, and some of them are expecting more than 50% hit to their revenue. Right. Can you tell us a bit more about the countries in Asia Pacific,
0: which are affected by the COVID-19? Sure. I think the two countries that would come to mind when we talk about uh, Asia Pacific and the coronavirus now is Japan and Korea. So, for Japan, as of 10 a.m. on March 3rd, there are 980 cases. But 706 of these are people from the infamous Diamond. Princess cruise ship, which is still moored at the Yokohama port near Tokyo. So, if we exclude the Diamond Princess uh, patients, there are only a little bit over 200 cases. So, in an effort to control the spread of the coronavirus, Japan is actually doing what China has done, which is to cancel schools. So, actually, starting from this Monday, which was March the 2nd, schools are out for Japanese elementary to high school students. And I actually read a policy just now that for kids who don't have any guardians at home, they can go to work with their parents. Although I'm not sure how that is effective in, you know, containing the spread if you're exposing the kids. But,
1: you know, certainly not because squeezing onto the famously crowded trains, I think is not a good recipe for keeping healthy for the children at all. That's
0: right. And as we all know, there is Olympics in Tokyo, or it is scheduled to happen in Tokyo this summer. And there are talks of cancellation as well. And AP put out a report saying that a senior member of the International Olympics Committee said that if it proves too dangerous to hold the Olympics in Tokyo this summer because of the outbreak, then it'll more likely be canceled altogether instead of it being postponed or moved. So we'll need to keep an eye out for that as well. And then the situation in Korea is a little bit unique in the way that the numbers escalated very quickly, which I alluded to earlier. So February 18th was really the turning point for Korea because the infamous super spreader patient 31 was confirmed that day. And starting from the next day, February 19th, the number of confirmed cases in Korea started to double. It went from 50 to 100 to 200 to 400. I remember checking the news every day and it was unbelievable what was happening. And now today, it's been about two weeks, March 3rd, and there are over 5,100 cases in South Korea. Literally two weeks ago, it was 51. If you haven't been keeping up with what's happening in Korea and you're wondering, you know, what caused this spike? Just Google Shincheonji Church, and that is spelled S-H-I-N-C-H-E-O-N-G-I. To summarize, basically, there is a church uh, from this religious group in a city called Daegu that has connections to Wuhan, and they held a lot of religious gatherings in January and in February. Patient 31 was a member of the church, and the, now the number of cases in that city, Daegu, make up about 75% of all cases in Korea. Korean health authorities announced recently that they're looking into two of these church group members who traveled to South Korea from Wuhan in January. I feel like I have confidence in South Korea, seeing how quickly they were able to set up the mobile drive-through testing centers that you probably also saw in, in the news. And they're being so open about their situation in you know, reporting the numbers, even though the numbers seem very scary.
1: Right. And closer to home here in Singapore, we also know that Indonesia as well. Just two days ago, they reported having their first two patients with the COVID-19. So it'd be interesting
0: to see how the situation in Indonesia develops. That's right. I read reports on that too. And to be honest, I don't believe that there are only, you know, two cases in Indonesia because I posted analysis of the number of flights going out from Wuhan. I believe it was from the end of December to beginning of January. And one of the top locations was Indonesia because a lot of people go to places like Bali for vacation. You know, so, and I also did read that there are certain countries, for example, Indonesia that haven't been reporting any cases for COVID-19 because they simply lacked testing abilities. I personally think that's the situation with Indonesia. It's unfortunate, but yeah, I I will also keep an eye out on what will happen for these Southeast Asian
1: countries. I understand that in Bali, there are still about 5,000 Chinese citizens who are staying over there because uh, they're reluctant to return to China.
0: Yeah, although I feel like their sentiments are probably changing a little bit now because I think China is doing a really good job containing the coronavirus. And I've been reading a lot of tweets and also just hearing stories personally that people like their friends or family living abroad and telling them maybe you should come back to China because I think it's safer here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Well,
1: let's examine what will be the short, middle and long term impact for certain industries in a bit more detail. So one of the first industries I'm interested in is tourism, because obviously this is something that's going to be heavily impacted
0: by the lack of Chinese tourists who are traveling now. That's right. If we talk about short-term impact, I think tourism is definitely one industry that has taken some of the biggest hits. I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but China was actually the biggest spender on tourism in the world in 2018. According to stats by the World Tourism Organization, they spent 277 billion US dollars. And the second and third place is the US and Germany. But even if you combined spending by these two countries together, it's still below what China has spent. You know, last month in February, the virus pretty much confined almost 1.4 billion people to their homes, right? So countries that will be impacted in terms of tourism are actually, unfortunately, also the countries with the highest number of infections right now, like Japan, like Korea, because these are countries that Chinese people go to a lot. Unfortunately, people can't visit these countries even if they want to because there has been a ban by a Chinese ministry that group travels can no longer take place and group travel make up a little over half of all outbound tourists coming from China. I've read in a report that the Japan Association of Travel Agents estimates that 400,000 Chinese group tourists cancel their trips between the end of January uh, to March. And that's not counting, you know, travels made by individual travelers or trips made uh, trips by crews. And then Thailand is also another country that's been heavily hit because Chinese tourists is the largest group of visitors to Thailand. And the Tourism Council of Thailand estimates that tourism income for the country during Lunar New Year is down by about 1.6 billion US dollars. It's huge given that tourism sector accounts for almost 20% of Thailand GDP. But in terms of long-term impact though, I feel like, at least personally, I feel like once the worry about being infected is over and the situation has calmed down globally, I think people will will want to travel. People will not be able to wait to spend their money and to finally get out you know, of their hometown or uh, out of the country or just simply out of their homes. So that's, ex- that's what I'm looking forward to at least. There will
1: certainly be a resurgence of demand it's whether the companies that are in the tourism industry, FNB or airlines industry, it's whether these companies can sustain themselves till that point in time. I think that that's the issue over here. One industry which is certainly heavily linked to tourism is uh, the airlines industry. So can you tell us a bit more about the airline industry? How is it being impacted by COVID-19?
0: Right. So for the airline industry, there is a possibility of airlines going bankrupt as, you know, you might have read reports on how Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airlines have actually announced pay cuts for their staff. It's reasonable given that first of all, the number of flights that are being operated have decreased significantly. Second, the number of people who are actually buying plane tickets have also decrease significantly. And I know that a lot of these flights are selling for really cheap too. I I saw a friend sharing a photo of a a plane ticket that he purchased from Shenzhen to Chengdu. And the ticket was under 50 RMB, which is less than 10 US dollars. It was wild. (laughs) This is the time to go traveling. That's right. If you dare.
1: (laughs) Shall we look on the brighter side of things as well? What are the industries that could be getting a surge from the coronavirus? For example, you know, technology industries, are they thriving in this? Gaming industries, perhaps e-commerce or even like
0: remote working technology companies? Well, I can tell you from personal experience that I've definitely spent more time shopping on Taobao last month than any other time and I've also probably bought more stuff and spent more last month than I did on the Double Eleven shopping holiday as well. I've also started to use a lot of these live streaming, short video, entertainment apps just to pass time and to get my mind away from thinking about the virus situation. And I've also never used Ulama, you know, the fruit delivery app as frequently as I did last month. I'm not sure if you saw this comic strip on New York Times about coronavirus cooking. So it's, you know, people are just cooking more than ever at home, and surprisingly, I use the exact same cooking app that was drawn in the comic strip. (laughs) So definitely, like e-commerce, food delivery, live streaming, remote working, and talk about live streaming. That's how students are going to class these days. So students still can't go to school in China, but education is super important, and they can't fall behind on their homework or their lessons. So what's happening is actually all these teachers started to live stream their lessons in order to keep up with the curriculum. And you mentioned remote working as well. So even though a lot of employees have actually started going into offices this month, but in February, uh, most people were working remotely, you know, using apps such as Zoom or ding ding which is ding talk apps like that in order to connect with their colleagues and continue to do their work and gaming definitely so the industries that you mentioned are benefiting from people staying at home and unable to go to school or to go to work and i'm curious as well what about pharmaceuticals
1: and medical supply industries because suddenly there's a huge shortage of
0: masks and hand sanitizers in the market That's right. There was a shortage of masks, sanitizers, medical gowns, etc. in China for the initial weeks of February. But it seems like factories have ramped up their production. And these are actually no longer an issue. But I am seeing news now about how there are shortages of these medical supplies in a lot of countries outside of China. So, this is definitely an industry that will benefit from the whole situation. Okay, and I know that
1: this is a very difficult question for you to answer, but what should we
0: expect in the next couple of weeks and months? So, for China, I expect the situation to improve uh, for everywhere outside of Hubei province. I really don't know what's happening in Hubei, so I'm not going to comment there. And then in terms of Japan and Korea, it will really depend on how drastic the measures are taken by the government and also how law-abiding these citizens are. So the more drastic the measures, the more law-abiding, the more effective I think the containing efforts will be. And I think there are lessons that can be learned from China, seeing how there was basically a countrywide quarantine for all of February that I think has paid off immensely. I'm honestly not sure um, what's going to happen to some of the developing Southeast Asian countries, especially places where you know the government is not as able uh, as the Singaporean government. I think, like I said before. I believe a lot of these countries have reported so few cases because of limitations in their testing abilities. We, we talked about Indonesia that just reported its first case. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye out on how the situation develops there. And then I know a lot of our listeners are from the US and are very concerned about the US situation. As of now, there are 91 confirmed cases, unfortunately, also six deaths in the US. That isn't a lot of cases. Is given U.S. population, but the situation could escalate very quickly like it did with South Korea. And I read on CNN that about a quarter of the current cases in the U.S. are likely transmitted through U.S. communities, which means that these are not travel-related. But I also just read a personal account of a Seattle woman's attempt to getting tested for COVID-19 in the U.S., and it was extremely difficult. She tried calling hotlines, doctors, hospitals, and because she did not travel in the last 14 days and was not related to any already confirmed cases, she was actually not eligible to be tested. And that worries me a lot, given that there are possibly a lot of community transmitted cases. But hopefully, you know the u s authorities will react quickly enough to ramp up testing so that the situation could still be contained. So I think we'll we'll just have to see how you know the governments and and different branches and policymakers uh, handle the situation. And if you are a business executive thinking about what you should do in terms of supply chain in response to the COVID-19 situation, there is a really good report put out by McKinsey that highlights the different actions that you can consider. There are recommendations for some immediate actions, for example, looking to ramp up now on or change modes of transportation to midterm actions to consider such as digitize process and tools to you know integrate demand supply and capacity planning etc so it's definitely a report that I would recommend checking out to see their take on some of the business implications of the virus situation. There is a page where the report lists out three scenarios for how the COVID-19 situation could evolve. There is quick recovery, global slowdown, and global pandemic recession. So for quick recovery, if we did have quick recovery by mid of Q2, cases would have already peaked in multiple regions and aviation tourism hospitality sectors would have come back to normal as countries lift travel bans if it was a global slowdown then it's possible that even through late q2 to q3 that you know consumer confidence is still dampened and the impact and recovery really differs by sector for example you know aviation tourism hospitality sectors will take longer to rebound than consumer goods And the last and the worst scenario is, of course, a global pandemic recession, which I think a lot of companies are planning for, although. Fingers crossed that will not be the case. In this situation, as written in the report, there will be substantial demand shock that lasts through bulk of the year all the way to Q4. And given that we are actually at the end of Q1 and it seems like there is a huge global thread, in my opinion, it's more likely that the situation is going to be a mix of the global slowdown and the global pandemic recession outlined by the report.
1: All right. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for answering all the questions that I have tonight. I'm really glad that life in Shanghai has gone back to normal for you at least and you managed to have your hot pot dinner tonight. So fingers crossed that it will start looking good for the rest of the world as well.
0: And thank you so much, Ying, for taking the time to be the guest host again for Analyze Asia. And I had a really good time chatting with you. All right. Thank you. If you haven't listened to part one of this programming on the coronavirus situation, then you can find us on all podcast platforms from iTunes podcast to Spotify, SoundCloud, Himalaya. And you can also tweet to us at Analyze Asia, that is Analyze with an S on Twitter for any feedback and recommendations. Thank you for listening and don't forget to tune back next time.